Welcome to Leading Lights. You are about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. You have doubtless heard of the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6 and in another part of the Bible, Jesus gives a model prayer. He was teaching his disciples how to pray. And he starts off um, by saying, When you pray, Matthew 6 verse 7, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. So he says everybody prays, even people who believe in other gods, but they just repeat the same words again and again, almost superstitiously. He says, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Jesus said, God already knows. So the the first question is, why would I pray if God already knows? And the answer is, God has provided the answer. He knows what we need and he wants to help us, but he loves the relationship, this interaction. It's a bit like a child and a father. You know, we could provide for our children and never have interaction with them, but the relationship is so important that we love the giving and receiving. We love the asking and the thanking. It is a wonderful part of building a relationship. And so the first thing we need to understand is that God doesn't need us to ask. And in fact, God has already provided the answer, but it is an important part of our relationship that God wants us to ask and to pray. So let's go through this Lord's Prayer. And I believe it's going to help you greatly as you pray in many other ways. You know, Jesus said, don't do vain repetition, which really means just repeating these words is not what he was after. He was wanting us to understand the meanings and the themes and the ideas. So he starts off by saying, Our Father in heaven. Interestingly, he says, Our Father. Throughout this prayer, it's all about us. Give us our daily bread. It's not an individual thing. Yes, prayer is individual, but we are part of a family. And when you pray with a family, when you pray in the understanding that I'm linked to other brothers and sisters, other Christians who have the same father as me, then it makes your prayer powerful. Jesus said in Matthew 18, if two agree on earth concerning anything, it will be done by my father in heaven. God loves us to pray together, to be in unity, to be in a family. But now he says, our father in heaven. And this is the first time that the idea of father is used. You know, before Jesus, in the whole of the Old Testament, they didn't refer to God as father. Jesus brought in a new idea that we're coming, yes, to the almighty God, the creator of the universe, the judge of all the earth. uh, But he then said he's our father. Other places of the Bible talk about us being given a spirit of adoption by which we cry out Abba or Daddy, Father. There is this intimacy and this relationship with God. We come to God in prayer to someone who loves us. Imagine running up to your dad and sitting on his knee, putting your head against his chest, listening to his heartbeat and his breathing, and you say, Daddy, please. Daddy, thank you, whatever it is. This is the context of prayer. Our Father, The other picture of a father in the Bible is of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. I don't have time to read the whole story, but there was a father who was very wealthy. He owned lands and possessions, and he had two sons. The younger son rebelled against his father. He said, I want 
the inheritance that is due to me now. I'm not willing to wait till you die. Imagine the insult and the pain that a father feels, but the father got all his money together and gave half of it to his younger son. The son wasted it and displeased and disappointed his father. But when he came back, the Bible says he came to his senses. He realized dad is who I need, not just his possessions, but him. When he came back to his senses, he walked back to his father and his father ran to meet him, hugged him, kissed him, showered him with gifts, had a big celebratory party, forgave him completely. He understood the relationship between himself and his father, that prodigal son. The older son didn't. And he heard the party. He heard them dancing and the music from the outside. And the father went out to him and said, son, come on into the party. Another way of saying that is the father says to us as children of his or potential children of his, come into heaven, come into the party. And the son said, A, why did you forgive that wretched brother of mine? He thought he was better than him. But B, he said, I have been working for you all these years. I've done right. I've never done wrong. I've earned all that I've got from you. And yet you've never given me a party. And the father said, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. That's the idea of a father, a father who says, I'm with you. You're with me. I want you to come into the party and fellowship with me. I want you to understand my love, my commitment, my generosity, but I am always with you and everything is yours. And yet I still want you to pray. Everything is yours, but still pray. And so if we don't understand fatherhood, God has forgiven us. He loves us, but he wants us to come back to him. Say, sorry, God, I've messed up. But now can you help me? Then we will be able to pray. If we haven't understood that, we will struggle. So our father, <laughs> I've said a lot for two words, our father in heaven. And I'm going to mention heaven in a moment. Hallowed be your name. So the first approach we have is hallowed. In other words, honor and praise, holiness, worship. He's worthy. He's great. Hallowed means I'm in awe of you. I honor you. I say you're great. And I am just so amazed by you. That's what hallowed means. Hallowed be your name. We've got to come with an attitude of worship as we come into prayer. Yes, I'm part of a family. Yes, he's my father. He's, he's the one who's loved me and forgiven me and blessed me. But now I give him the honor he's due. So the little child runs into the room, jumps on his dad's knee, puts his head on his chest, listens to his breathing. But all the while he's thinking, wow, this dad is big and strong. I'm a little bit scared and in awe of him. Not fearful terror, but just respect and awe. Hallowed be your name. God, you're amazing. As we do that, we, in the context of a family, realizing he's our father and giving him honor and worship, we come into his presence. Psalm 100 says we enter his gates and his courts with praise and thanksgiving. We come into the temple of his presence with praise and thanksgiving. He comes into our presence. We go into his and prayer becomes possible. Imagine that a father who has already provided everything we need who knows what we need, who has the power to help us. But he says, I want you to see me as father and I want you to realize who I am. And then this wonderful interplay, this dance of relationship that is called prayer can start working itself out 
You know, in the Old Testament, Abraham was was called God's friend and God wanted to do something. He wanted to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for good reason and good purposes. And he said, I'm going to talk to Abraham about it. God loves to talk to humans and to have a conversation. And that's what prayer is. And it turns out that Abraham said, Lord, please don't destroy the city if there's 50 righteous people, 40, whatever. And eventually God agreed and God did destroy the city, but he saved the the righteous people who were in it out of it. I believe God wanted to do that all along. I believe God has a plan that he wants to do, but he's looking for people who love him as father and who will hallow or honor his name so that he can have a conversation to bring about what he wants to do in the earth. Hallowed be your name. I could say a lot about name. You know, in the Old Testament, um, God said to Moses, Moses said, well, who are you? What's your name? And God said, I am that I am Yahweh, which kind of means I am that I am Uh, Yahweh or sometimes called Jehovah in different translations. But Yahweh is a summary of I am that I am. But then he adds that name to other names in the Old Testament. He says, Yahweh or Jehovah, your healer. Jehovah, your provider, Jehovah, your banner, Jehovah of the armies of the hosts of Israel, uh, Jehovah, your shepherd, uh, Jehovah, your righteousness, all of these names, Yahweh, I am all of these things. And then Jesus came along and he said, before Abraham was, I am. He used the same name, but then he linked it to various things. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. So we see the name of the Lord is a descriptor of who he is. It tells us about him. And the Bible says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into the name of the Lord and they are kept safe. So hallowed be your name means, Lord, I praise you for who you are, for all that you've shown of, of your character, for your goodness, your, your mercy, your past works, your promises in the Bible about what you will do. All of these things is your name, your description of who you are. Hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is the entrance into this conversation with God. This is the little child running into the living room and saying, Daddy, I want to have a conversation. Uh, And then he goes on to say, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this little phrase is so full of meaning. The reason being that this phrase, your kingdom, and heaven, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, your kingdom as it is in heaven, was the main theme of Jesus's preaching. He mentions it again and again throughout the Gospels. We see that he preached the kingdom of heaven and then he demonstrated the kingdom of heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven was demonstrated by Jesus like this. He would come into a place. He would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. What he was saying is there's a new king. The king of all the universe has come to earth and the kingdom of heaven as God's will is done in heaven. The kingdom is where God's will is done, where the king's will is done. He said that kingdom has come to earth and the results of it, I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to feed those who are hungry. I'm going to educate those who are deceived. I'm going to raise the dead. I'm going to cast out demons. I'm bringing the will of God as it is in heaven to earth. And we are told to pray the same thing. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, can I just say that it's impossible to pray for God's will to be done around you as it is in heaven 
without you being willing for it to be done in you. Another way of saying this is to say, you can't ask the king to be king around you if he's not your king already. He has to come through a person who is submitted to him. And so we come not just to a father, but to a king. Your kingdom come, your will be done, your rule and reign, your will on earth, in my life, in my family, in my business, in the, the society around me. We pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You might say to me, well, how do I know what his will is? How do I know what his will in heaven is? Friends, there is enough in the Bible for us to see what heaven is like. There's no more tears. There's no more crying. There's no more sickness. There's no more death. There's no more pain. We see each other face to face clearly. There's no deception. Uh, there's no unrighteousness. There's no sin. That is God's will in heaven. God is obeyed and honored fully and worshiped 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That is God's will being done in heaven. Jesus demonstrated what it's like when that is brought into the kingdom of this earth where the devil was ruling and reigning. Jesus said, now the old ruler of this earth is going to be cast out because Jesus was coming in and showing a new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And we pray that when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth and in me as it is in heaven. Wow. Just that alone is a major, major interaction between us and God. I've demonstrated my relationship to Him, my attitude to Him. I've got myself in the right position where He is God and I am not. He is my Father. I am in a body of believers. I've put my trust in Him. Um, I've honored Him and worshiped Him. And I've prayed for His will to be done. But then He says, we pray a couple of things. Give us this day our daily bread. Now this, some people, some old church writers and fathers said, this seems weird. All the themes up until now have been so glorious and this prayer is so amazing and, and full of big words and big ideas. Why would we ask for our daily bread? And so some of the writers and, and preachers of the past have said, this can't be talking about bread. This can't be talking about, you know, this, this food that we need to eat every day. It must be talking about something else, something heavenly or something spiritual. But it is talking about our bread because God, our Father, cares about our daily needs. He cares about everything. The Bible says all the hairs on your head are numbered and he knows everything about it. He is so intimately concerned and involved and interested in your life. And we can and must pray for our daily bread. Now, I want to just stress this. Remember at the start, he says, your father already knows. Don't be like the heathens who just try and do superstitious prayers to try and twist God's arm. God already knows. He already knows we need bread. And can I say something important? He's already got the bread ready for us. He has provided. He has done the miracle. He's just waiting for this relationship, this interaction, so that we ask and he says, yes, we ask with faith. We don't ask begging, trying to convince a reluctant God. No, no. We, we almost ask knowing it's been given. We ask with a confidence and a trust that he has already provided what we need because he's promised in his word 
that he will provide for all of our needs, including our bread and everything else. And so we ask for our daily needs, our daily bread, our relationship issues, our work, our home, our job, our education, our future, our clothing, every part of our lives. And can I encourage you to ask, to ask for the things you might say, but I feel silly asking. I've prayed for God to heal my broken car engine before, and he's done it. I've prayed for crazy things. I've prayed for specific things, for the type of car and even the color of car that I need. Um, All these different things. When we ask, he says, I was just waiting for you to ask. I'm so excited. Come sit on my knee. Listen to my heartbeat. What do you need? You need bread? Okay, here's some bread. Isn't that a lovely picture? And then it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And some translations say trespasses. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So let me just use this debt illustration or word at the moment. Jesus often referred to sins and offenses as debts. What he was saying in effect was when somebody does something against you that they shouldn't do, let's just say they insult you, they treat you unfairly, they, they don't treat you correctly. When somebody hurts you or offends you, he said there's a debt that is being created where they owe you something. But he says you also owe other people things. Nobody is without debt themselves. They, we all owe other people because all of us sin every day. And the amount we owe God is even greater. In Matthew 18, he told a parable about a servant who'd been forgiven this enormous debt by the master, billions and billions of dollars, and yet he went out and choked someone who owed him just a few dollars. It's the same idea. We have been forgiven by God millions of dollars or pounds of debt because of what we have done against him in not believing in him and not trusting him in not obeying and not living the way he designed us to live. He has forgiven it through Jesus Christ. If we don't forgive somebody else, it proves we haven't understood what he has given us. Because if you've been forgiven billions, you will forgive a few pennies or pounds. And this is what he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And just in case we misunderstood, he says at the end of this prayer, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Another way of saying this is you can either live in the land of justice where debts are repaid, or you can live in the land of forgiveness where debts are forgiven. You can't have a foot in both worlds. You can't say, I want to live in the land of forgiveness for my debts, but I want to live in the land of justice for what other people owe me. It's one or the other. You choose. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Friends, can I just say there is incredible freedom. There is incredible release and joy and peace that comes when you say, I forgive those who have hurt me. Now, we're not saying that they didn't do wrong. We're not saying that it's a small thing they've done to us. All we're saying is I am not the judge. I am not the jury. I'm not the prison keeper or the executioner who must ensure that they are punished. That's not me. That's somebody else's job. I've been forgiven. I release them and I trust that God will do what he's got to do and look after them. And it's not my job to be the judge. It's God's job. That is a releasing thing. You forgive them. It's almost as if there's an invoice where you have charged them an invoice. 
you say, you disrespected me, you cheated, you stole, you hurt me, you lied, you treated me badly. The amount you owe me is 7,520 whatevers, whatever your currency of sin is. And you hold that debt and every day you go back and you look, yes, he still owes me, he still owes me. And one day God says, I've forgiven you all those billions that you owed me. And what you do is you take that invoice, you write across it, paid in full, cancelled, you rip it up and you say to the person, I release you, you owe me nothing. And peace floods in. This is the Lord's Prayer. These are the principles and themes that God is teaching us. And then he says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do not lead us into temptation. That's exactly the same word as testing. The word for testing and the word for temptation are the identical Greek word. And what it's saying is, Lord, please don't lead me into testing. You know, God can use testing to build us up. We're told in the Bible that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. It's a bit like gold being refined and made purer and purer through the heat of testing. Testing can make us pure, but a better route, a better route than testing is for us to read God's word and simply trust and obey it. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, it says, uh, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. But now listen, so that the man of God may be thoroughly, fully equipped for every good work, complete. In other words, if I would just obey God's word, I don't need to go through testing. Testing is the second best option. And he says, Lord, do not lead me through testing. In other words, help me to obey you and deliver us from the evil one. It's interesting that the Greek says the evil one, and yet many, many people and institutions have changed that to say, deliver us from evil as a concept. But it's actually saying from the devil. The devil is trying to get you to sin. And so then we do go through testing, uh, sometimes for our own sin, sometimes because other people have sinned against us. But he's saying, Lord, lead me in this right path, the paths of righteousness instead of paths caused by sin. And he says, uh, deliver me from the evil one. Again, God has promised he has and he will deliver you from the devil. Uh, 1 John 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means from all the footholds and, and claims that the devil might have and the attacks the devil might have to cleanse us from unrighteousness and from the enemy. And here we're praying, Lord, deliver us from the evil one. But it's almost again like we're saying, Lord, I know you've done this, but I'm asking just to build this relationship. Keep me from testing. I want to obey you. I want to trust you. Keep me safe and set me free from the devil. But I know you've already done it. But I still ask anyway. And then he closes with yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. And this is where we set our, our focus again back on bigger things. We've been asking about personal things, bread and sins against us and sins we've committed and daily needs and um, the evil temptations and tests that we go through. We've looked at ourselves and other people, but now we say, Lord, yours is the kingdom, the glory, the power forever. And that word forever speaks of eternity. And if you read through the Bible, there is a theme that goes through the Bible and it's summarized in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says that God has put eternity in the hearts of men 
but no one can really figure out what God does from beginning to end. We live in an earthly world where we can't see the big picture, but there is something in us, eternity in the hearts of men. And when we come to our Father, when we interact with Him in this way, eternity, we are connecting with eternity, with forever concepts, with big things, the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever. And suddenly we get a bigger picture. These little things that we're worried about, yes, they're important, but they're not the ultimate thing. The, the things the world around me is chasing after, they are not the main thing. Forever. The kingdom of God forever is what's really important. Eternity. Am I living with a perspective of heaven and eternity and glory? The Bible says, if I know God, I'm already seated with him right now in heavenly places, even though I'm still worried about daily bread and testing and, and temptations. God says, Keep your focus on the big thing. Friends, when we do this, what happens is an interaction happens between us and God. An exchange happens. Power is released. You know, the Bible says Jesus went alone by himself often to pray. He would take time out. This is the Son of God. He would take time out and go somewhere alone and pray. And when the disciples asked him, how do you pray? He gave them this model prayer. But it wasn't him repeating the words uh, repetitively and, and by memory. No, no. He was saying, these are the things, the concepts that I pray when I'm alone with my father. One of the times Peter, James and John went with him on a mountain and saw him shining, transfigured with light and talking with Moses and Elijah and God the Father. And they saw what was happening. But friend, you and I have the opportunity to pray in the same way. We can pray to our father. Jesus' Father and our Father, God Himself, and we can be as intimate as Jesus was. Jesus gained strength from those times of prayer. When His cousin John the Baptist was beheaded, He went alone to pray. He was interrupted by a crowd of people wanting food. But after that, He went up on a mountain and He prayed and He got strength for His grief from His cousin being killed, but also wisdom and power. And then from there, He walked on the water to the disciples in the middle of the lake. And power was coming into him through his times of prayer. You and I have the same opportunity. Lord Jesus, help us not just to know how to pray, but to actually pray. To pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into testing and temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, Lord. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com